This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, the place where bold visions from all across the state are fitted with corrective lenses. It's been almost a year since Hurricane Michael ripped through the Florida panhandle, and leaders of a group called Rebuild 850 say the recovery is underway. But there is a long road ahead, and traffic is already backed up. NPR's chief economics correspondent comes to Florida to talk about reality-based reporting in a time when Americans seem to be living in different realities. Scott Horsley says we're all in this boat together, and we'd better start acting like it. Donald Trump comes to the villages to talk about supporting Medicare and opposing socialized medicine, which, if you think about it, it's pretty much a contradiction in terms. After all, Medicare is socialized medicine. After just 20 days, backers of a proposition to legalize marijuana for adults in Florida say they've already collected more than 100,000 signatures. That's enough to trigger a review by the state's highest court. A bill that would legalize open carry of firearms in Florida has been filed in the state legislature. You wouldn't need a concealed carry permit or a license of any sort. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and continuing coverage of Florida Man. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, October 4th. Next week is the one-year anniversary of Michael, a Cat 5 hurricane that mowed through the piney woods of North Florida like a giant scythe. But Tallahassee public relations guru Ron Sachs says most Floridians have already forgotten. Our firm, Sachs Media, did a survey just a few weeks ago of Floridians, people who know about hurricanes. And what's scary is that the further you get from Northwest Florida geographically, the less people know that Hurricane Michael even happened. Or many people believe Northwest Florida's back to normal. It's not back to normal, and it won't be for a long time. Sachs is one of the people who created Rebuild 850. Their job is to keep reminding people of the damage done by Michael and the long road back to recovery for the panhandle. Will Weatherford is a former speaker of the Florida House and co-chair of the Rebuild organization. In Florida alone, Hurricane Michael destroyed 190,000 structures. Damaged or destroyed. The economic loss is at $17 billion. I think the most heartbreaking part about that loss is that almost half of it, maybe a little more than half of it actually, was uninsured. Think about that. Eight to $9 billion of losses, things that you owned and had value one day and were gone the next that had no insurance. It's not a short-term fix. This is not a one-year problem. This is a decade-long rebuilding effort that will take time and resources and efforts for many, many years. Recovery has been slow and painful. If you visit Panama City today, you will still find huge piles of hurricane debris. Rebuilding is slow because so many homes have been damaged or destroyed that there's nowhere for homeowners or construction crews to live while repairs are being made. Former House Speaker Alan Bentz, who lives in Panama City, says the insurance companies are making things worse by dragging their feet on thousands of valid claims, including his. Insurance companies in general have been terribly unhelpful. I'm on my seventh adjuster for my home. Seventh adjuster. Think about the average working man or working woman that are trying to deal with these insurance companies. They're getting murdered. Come on, insurance companies, you can do better. We've had a hard time. Uh, and it's, again, it's not the rich or powerful, it's the little guy and little gal and the working man and working woman. We've lost between 20 and 30,000 people population-wise that have left. They've gone to Dothan, Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, wherever. Why? There's no housing. 
State Senator Bill Monfort says they need to come up with a long-range strategy for rebuilding, but there are still immediate needs that have not been addressed. We've got to look way down the road. Where will we be 10 years from now? And we have to do that. But at the same time, we need to continue to do things today because we still have people who's, who are living under blue tarps that are rotting. They're that old. We have people who are still in tents. We, uh, we have people who, and the, the threat of wildfire, they're living all around it. And again, let me go back to the children. We have children who are suffering today, no, no cause of their own, but it's simply what happened a year ago. So my, my plea to you today is to help us make sure that, that this part of the state is not forgotten. Leaders of Rebuild are talking about a 10-year recovery plan, but frankly, they may not have that much time. Craig Fugate, who ran the Florida Division of Emergency Management under two governors and the Federal Emergency Management Agency for two different presidents, says the panhandle only has about five years to restore the property tax base that was decimated by Michael. My experience tells me that after five years, if you have not grown your tax base back to the level you need to provide services, we start laying off at the school board. We start laying off at the sheriff's office. We quit doing maintenance on the roads. And if you're trying to grow your, grow your economy, how's that going to work? So there needs to be urgency in this. And my measure, it's not one that's very, I think, touchy-feely. Of course, I don't think I've ever been accused of being that. But our measure recovery is going to be the tax base. You can pick a lot of other issues. You can pick a lot of other trends. There's a lot of other things that go into recovery. But a bottom line issue is we got to focus on the tax base of these cities and counties. And are we going to get to the point where they're generating enough revenue to provide the essential services they need just to hang on? and then potentially start moving into growth. The feds have already shelled out almost $2 billion for Hurricane Michael recovery, providing assistance to more than 42,000 homeowners and renters in 12 counties. But Fugate says you cannot count on FEMA for long-term recovery because that's not their job. It's up to Florida. Backers of a constitutional amendment to legalize marijuana for adults say they've collected more than 100,000 signatures after just 20 days of work. The MILF proposition, which is short for Make It Legal Florida, is one of three marijuana legalization amendments making the rounds now. They started with a million dollars of seed money and used it to send out hundreds of thousands of ballots to pre-qualified voters. Make It Legal also hired petition gatherers and has a form available online for downloading. If those first 100,000 signatures are verified, that is more than enough to trigger a Supreme Court review of the amendment to see if it meets the legal standard to appear on the ballot. If the court signs off on the language, it needs about 800,000 verified signatures to make the ballot. A poll conducted for the group found 67% of Floridians support recreational use of cannabis. Another fun gun bill is filed at the Florida legislature. Representative Anthony Sabatini of Howie in the Hills has introduced what's known as constitutional carry, which means Floridians would be able to carry guns out in public without any sort of license in places where concealed weapons are already permitted. Open carry is already allowed in 16 other states. Now, Florida has a reputation as the gunshine state, but open carry is one of those concepts lawmakers have been reluctant to embrace, especially in the aftermath of mass shootings at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando and Stoneman Douglas High in Parkland. Donald Trump comes to the villages to talk about health care for seniors and give a shout out to Florida's governor and first lady. That has been an incredible couple and a great governor and the job they're doing is phenomenal and uh, I was honored to be very much involved in that campaign. And if he was doing a lousy job, I probably just wouldn't have shown up today. <laughs> but he's doing one of the best jobs in the whole country, Ron DeSantis. And... 
The original title of the president's speech was Protecting Medicare from Socialist Destruction. Well, that was changed to Protecting and Improving Medicare for Our Nation's Seniors. However, there was still plenty of talk from the president about socialism. Florida is a great place to live and do business. Let's keep it that way. By supporting the Florida Competitive Workforce Act, legislators can do the right thing. To remain competitive globally, we must be a welcoming state for everyone to live, work, and play. 11 Fortune 500 companies, 35 major employers, and hundreds of small businesses support the act. And 68% agree it's wrong to discriminate in employment, public housing, and accommodations. Go to floridacompetes.org. Tell your legislator to hear the Florida Competitive Workforce Act. If you spend any time listening to National Public Radio, you're familiar with the name and the voice of Scott Horsley. He's the chief economics correspondent for NPR and spent several years covering the White House. But before all that, he was a radio reporter in Tampa, where he covered everything from bizarre smells in Yeehaw Junction to the story of a stripper who survived a shooting when the bullet was deflected by her silicone implants. When he left Florida, Horsley thought his days of covering salacious sex scandals were done. Then came Donald Trump. When Stormy Daniels was on her book tour not too long ago, she, she met up with a young man who looked her not exactly in the eyes, um, somewhere south of there, and he asked, are those real? And I'm sure Stormy, who had been asked that once or twice before, said, well, you're not imagining them. <laughs> it is getting harder and harder to separate what's real from what's imaginary to separate the serious from the silly and the silicone. We are obviously in in the midst right now of a very serious episode for our nation's democracy. Horsley returned to Florida this week to talk about the challenge of being a journalist in an era where people cannot agree on the facts, let alone the issues. The Washington Post keeps a running tab of all the lies and misleading statements made by the president. It's past the 12,000 mark. But then came the false statement about Hurricane Dorian threatening Alabama and the map Trump altered with a Sharpie to try to cover his mistake. Horsley believes Sharpiegate was a tipping point with the American public. Now, this was not the first time that the Trump administration had tried to ride roughshod over government scientists. They've quietly scrubbed climate data from government websites. They've replaced academic advisors with industry insiders. They've relocated whole government agencies, which has touched off the wholesale resignation of longtime government experts. They even tried to corrupt the census. But Sharpie Gate seemed to capture the public's imagination in a way that some of these earlier offenses had not. Maybe because we all rely on the Weather Service every day to help us make decisions. Trivial decisions like, do I pack an umbrella today on my way to work? And serious decisions like, is it time to put up the hurricane shutters or maybe get the hell out of town before the storm gets here? And we all know the Weather Service is not perfect. They can get it wrong now and then. But they shouldn't get it wrong because of political pressure from a petty and insecure White House. If you can't trust the Weather Service, how are you going to trust government data on The economy, for example, which is very important to me now in my current beat. Horsley says the polarization in Washington is a reflection of what's happening back home. America may be a melting pot, but we're congealing separately. People of like minds tend to cluster in neighborhoods and communities that share their beliefs. And the Internet echo chamber reinforces our differences, not our similarities. There are Americans who are not just like you. They don't live like you, they don't have families like yours, they don't think like you do. And they might not live in your neighborhood, 
but this is their country too. We are in a moment of high stress in that country, and it goes without saying, we are not all rowing in the same direction. But however leaky our ship of state may have become, we are in this boat together, and we better start acting like it. Horsley says one way to do that is to agree on a common set of facts, which means you, as a news consumer, have to be aware of where you get your information. And journalists have to do a better job reporting the facts and stop repeating false and misleading information that has already been debunked. As we try to set our course through that world, we need some common coordinates. We need a compass that's calibrated to agreed upon facts. In this moment, fact-based journalism is our life vest. It may not be as bulletproof as that stripper's silicone breast implant, but it's all we've got to hold on to. So when the tide of disinformation is rolling in, I urge you to reach for fact-based journalism. It will help you keep your head and maybe the rest of your anatomy above water. Horsley says there are still some journalists who are part of what he calls the fact-based community. And he says you should find the ones who are fair, not just the ones who report what you want to hear. On today's political agenda, the Financial Impact Estimating Conference holds a workshop about a proposed constitutional amendment to legalize recreational marijuana. That's 830 in the Capitol. The State Office of Insurance Regulation holds a hearing on a proposal by the National Council on Compensation Insurance that would reduce average workers' compensation insurance rates in Florida by 5.4 percent. That's at 10 a.m. in the Senate Office Building. And the Board of Triumph Gulf Coast, which makes decisions about distributing settlement money from the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, meets in Escambia County at 10 o'clock at the Escambia County Commission Chamber. And time now for the continuing adventures of Florida Man, who sometimes wears the cleric's collar. The New Sound Church in Palm Beach County is moving into a strip club. They've been holding services at Wellington High School, but the Reverend Josh Monty says they're buying Double D's Ranch, love that name, and turning the former bar and strip club into a church with seating for six to 700 people. The stripper poles will be replaced by pews. A Florida woman who went to a church in Melbourne for assistance is accused of helping herself to a purse belonging to a church volunteer. Authorities say 56-year-old Doreen O'Keefe made off with several credit cards belonging to a 69-year-old woman, and she hit 15 stores before those cards were canceled. Finally, a 32-year-old Florida woman is busted on DUI charges after she admitted drinking a couple of alcoholic beverages on the drive home. 32-year-old Danae Morrison of Palm Harbor was pulled over after a motorist called the Pinellas Sheriff's Office to report a woman was drinking a can of white claw behind the wheel. That's seltzer water spiked with alcohol. Morrison apparently thought it was okay because they're only 5% alcohol. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. Back with a new one on Monday. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee for Florida Politics.